we desire to live dazzling Christian lives by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God that transforms us from the inside out. And so we've had a number of sessions looking at the first couple of verses of chapter 1 where um, James encourages us, and this really is a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of calling people back towards a primary relationship with Jesus. And um, he says a number of things. He says, uh, count it all joy when you experience trials. And we don't like to know that as Christians. But he says, count it all joy when you have difficult situations. And he talks, goes on and says that God is doing an amazing work in you through those trials. He goes on to say, let patience complete its perfect work in you. And then the last time I preached, we had this opportunity to look at verse 3, which talks about wisdom. And uh, James says there's an amazing wisdom that is from heaven, that is available to every believer. And I ended off my last session by saying, unfortunately, there does seem to be a, a qualification at the end of that, because he then says, and you who ask for wisdom must ask with faith and not doubt. I wish he hadn't said that. Why does he say that? It messes everything up. He says, let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Okay, that's the verse 6 to 8. And so I've called this message this morning, Faith, the mirror of our hearts. I have a mirror here. Faith. The mirror of our hearts. I want you all to get, take a really good look at yourself. Mirrors are fascinating things, aren't they? Because they never lie. They let us know exactly who we are, what we look like. Some of us don't like what we look like, do we? If we're honest, we have all these hang-ups about how we look. If only I didn't have a bald head. If only I didn't have a double chin. Only I look like a supermodel. Isn't that right? So um, maybe you could take your mobile phone and take a picture of yourself. I'm being serious. If you go to mobile phone and take a picture, take a picture of yourself right now and look at yourself while I preach. Because the Bible says, we can look at this now, that faith is the mirror of our hearts. Thank you. Faith is the mirror of our hearts. Show something of where we're at with God, what is in our hearts. And faith is the mirror. And sometimes we don't like to look in the mirror, see what's there. We don't like it. Hmm. I would change some things if I could, of how I look, but I can't. Why does... Why does James use that image? Why does he say that we mustn't be those that doubt? And I want to make three points this morning, and I've been trying in my preparation to get to preach a three-point sermon. I have a three-point sermon today. <laughs> I want to make three points. One, James is calling us to undoubting faith. Two, faith is the mirror of our hearts. And three, what does he mean when he talks about a double-minded man? Okay. I said before, uh, and I want to encourage you again, if you didn't get the opportunity to listen to Dave's message 
that he preached last week that um, you get online and listen because it kind of ties in with what I'm going to say today. And uh, in the previous messages, I talked about the history of James and said this, that many people, when they've looked at the book of James, have simply dismissed James as a book. Uh, Martin Luther did that. He called it an epistle of straw. And one of the reasons for that was because many believed that James didn't have a theology of faith. That um, particularly when you look at James chapter 2, which talks about faith and works, people have just dismissed the book of James and said, well, he hasn't got a theology of faith, hasn't got a doctrine of faith, and dismissed the book. And I believe that's a superficial look at this book, because the more I'm studying this book, the more and more I'm convinced that James is calling us all to undoubting faith. Undoubting faith. That is his motivation. Okay? And so we looked at some of those great promises over the last three weeks. I'd just like to recap. We looked at this promise for wisdom, that all of us who need wisdom in our lives can simply ask. And it's a great promise available to all of us as believers. Romans 8.28 is another great promise uh, for every single believer, for all of us. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Philippians 4.19, another great promise for every believer. My God, Damien, will supply all your needs calling to his riches and glory. Beautiful. Promise for every single one. And here, unfortunately, there seems to be this comma after that great promise, and it says, let him ask in faith with no doubt. I want to say to you, for me, that is not a discouragement. I want to try and help you to see this morning that actually that's a great encouragement to you and I. It's not a discouragement. It's a great encouragement to you and I It's a safeguard for the church. It's a safeguard for people making outrageous claims in the name of Christianity, saying that God gave them some kind of special revelation. And if you've been watching the news this week, it's a very good point to make right now. Some obscure person from the United States of America predicted the end of the world yesterday at 6 p.m. And it hasn't happened. I think he tried to originally in 1994 to predict the same thing and it didn't happen. Well, I must ask, don't these people read the Bible? Because the Bible simply says, Jesus said, the Father in heaven alone knows, not I even know. We, we don't need, we do, this is wisdom from heaven. We don't need to be distracted by these things. These are ridiculous. Don't get distracted by every new thing that comes on the internet promise of this and promise of that. What does the Word say? What did Jesus say? Let's get back to the Word. Amen? Sorry. I'm going to try and not do that anymore. Sophia knowledge. We looked at Sophia knowledge, this, this wisdom from heaven, that uh, self-wisdom that begins at the point of saying, I don't know everything. And uh, I said in the first century, the Jews were growing up in a Greek culture. They would have known what Sophia meant, that it was a wisdom that came from heaven. And it's different from techno, technological wisdom. It's different from, from the other word we looked at was friend, which means intellectual wisdom. It's not intellect. It's not technical ability with your hands. It's the supernatural revelation direct from the throne of God that every believer can enjoy. Great, great promises. So why does he say we must not doubt? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that it's the pattern of the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches. The gospel, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son the gospel is available to everybody. But what is the condition? The condition is, you believe. It must come by faith. 
And so the gospel is available to all of us, but it comes to us by faith. In the same way when we break bread just now, the body of Christ is available to everybody. It's not exclusive in any way. Everyone can come to the table. But Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says, it's those who rightly discern the body of Christ that have the blessing of, the, of what that means. And those that eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, what happens? Says they speak judgment on themselves. We have to rightly discern. It comes by faith. What we do at the communion table comes by faith. The same, what James is saying about wisdom. So three things. The gospel, breaking of bread, wisdom. Come to us by faith. And I want to say, I want to stress again, undoubting faith. So then I want to ask you a question. Why does he say we must not doubt? That forces me to ask this question of myself, and all of us need to ask this question. Do we have the right then to ask for this wisdom that that James says is available? How do we know that we have the right? Big question. How do you and I know that we can ask boldly for that wisdom? This is why I say this is a safeguard for the church. This is a safeguard for the church. And I believe with all my heart that God wants us to pray and see people healed. God wants us to prophesy accurately. God wants us to love each other, serve passionately, without undoubting heart. And here's a clue for you. When you doubt about something, it's a clue to you that perhaps you don't have the right to ask for that thing. Why do I say that? Because, by definition, faith does not doubt. By definition. Faith is the substance of things unseen. It is the absolute surety that you know, and I always say this, you know in your knower that it's going to happen. You know. That is faith. Our faith is in Christ's faithfulness. He is always faithful. And so there's a truth that our, well, our, our physical bodies, who we are, must come in line with the faith of Jesus. That's true. Right? But I think there are many people in the body of Christ, many people in the body of Christ, worldwide, that ask for things that they're not entitled to ask for. Why do I say that? Because we looked at um, the first couple of verses of James, and James said, endure trials. Don't try and get out of God's process in your life. Don't try and short-circuit the process of God. Let patience have its perfect work in you and in me. We looked at 2 Peter. What did 2 Peter say? He said, a couple of weeks ago we looked at it, he said, there's certain things that are in place in your life. There's a process. What did he say? He said, add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. Add to your knowledge patience. And Peter is presuming that there's a work of God going on in your life where God is putting other things in place in your life. And then he says in the final verse, to verse 8, he says, For with these qualities are yours. If these qualities are yours, faith, virtue, knowledge, etc., and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Lord, the Lord Jesus. So Peter is assuming, and so is James, they're both assuming that there are certain graces in our lives, there are certain things in place that we are allowing the Spirit of God to do in us constantly. And then James says, if you still lack wisdom, then you ask. Are you with me? 
without doubting. And so it's like another test for us. Can we pray without doubting? Because that is faith. The absolute surety, the absolute certainty. Uh, when I was a pastor at another church in Bryanston, we had this amazing move of God where God was touching people and healing them and healing their backs. And uh, we would pray for people and measure the length of their legs. And uh, I saw amazing things. I saw people's backs healed like that. People who had suffered for years and years and years with absolute pain. And they were healed. And there was a growing faith that began in my life to emerge that every time I prayed for a person and I measured their legs, I knew that if the one was shorter than the other, I was absolutely certain. I knew. I knew in my know that God was going to heal them. And he did every time. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm trying to encourage you this morning, whatever your gift is, to exercise that gift. I have a dream for this church that every single one of us would begin to flow in the gift that God has for us, a true priesthood of all believers. But we've got to know in our knower. I'm not asking anyone to get intense and introverted and do I have enough faith? And do I? No, I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to drive at this morning. The classic example is healing. Now, John Wimber had an amazing healing ministry. And so people watch the telly or they watch the God channel and they see these guys flowing in the Spirit and doing amazing things. And they're like, well, I can do that. So they just go and presumptuously lay their hands on everybody and presume that God's going to move in the same way. I think it is presumptuous. Why am I saying that? Because we each have a measure of faith that God gives us. You haven't been through, through the process of that man's life or that woman's life. You don't know what they've gone through in the process of God to be able to pray like that. And yet we presume that we can just simply do it. Are you with me? I hope you are going to be encouraged this morning because this, I, I am, uh, it is an encouraging message. So faith is the mirror. And i uh, try to illustrate that. So for me, faith, it's got a kind of double edge. It can be positive and negative. Why? Because the Bible says that faith pleases God, that he loves faith. He loves, us, loves it when we respond with faith. And it says he opens the windows of heaven when we respond with faith. Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What I have seen, what ear has heard, what has the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. He wants to lavish blessing on us. He wants to move by his spirit in this place like we've never dreamed of. And you might feel like me sometimes, and that's why I want to encourage you to listen to, to, to uh, Dave's message last week about Martha and this kind of walk of faith where you feel like you take a step forward and then you feel like you take a step back. And yet the important thing is that we yield to the process of God in our lives and allow him to build faith within our hearts. You know, and sometimes when I look at this mirror and I look at myself, I have to say sometimes I probably think I'm a giant on the outside, but on the inside... It's mini-me. Remember mini-me? Anyone see? No, okay. You're obviously all very... Um, don't you watch movies? Perhaps it was good that you didn't watch that movie. <laughs> mini-me. Giants on the outside, but mini-me on the inside. What I'm trying to stress is this, is that Faith shows what God is doing on the inside of us. It shows 
what's happening in our heart. That is how we're responding to him. And it's a huge point because Paul encourages us, and uh, I want to ask you please to go to Romans chapter 12 because Paul encourages us in a very interesting way. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is after the amazing portion of Paul encouraging the whole church at Rome in the light of the first 11 chapters of Romans, which is this amazing uh, illustration of the grace of God. It's an incredible theology of what God has done in us by the death of Jesus. It, he unpacks the whole thing. And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, in the light of all the first, all these 11 chapters, therefore I urge you, every single one of you, to offer up yourself a living sacrifice. And he kind of now goes and says, In light of the gospel, in the light of what Jesus has done for you, offer up yourself a living sacrifice. And he, he says, This is your acceptable spirit of worship. He says, Don't be conformed to the world, but renew your minds. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, This, for by the grace given to me, Paul, I say to everyone amongst you, that includes all of us, every single one of us, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of his faith. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So there's different measures for each of us. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another, having gifts that are different. Gifts that differ. According to the grace given to us. By grace, I have been given a gift that is different to the gift that is given to Carol. And Carol, by grace, has been given a gift that is different to Simon. And Simon, by grace, has been given a gift that is different to Chrissy. And he goes on to say, describes the gifts. He says, let us use them. He's encouraging the whole church in Rome. Use your gift. Every single one of you, use your gift. And he, Paul would encourage all of us, use the gift, whatever God's given you. If it's prophecy, in proportion to your faith. You hear what I'm saying? Prophesy according to your measure of faith. The man who prophesied at the end of the world was not prophesying according to a measure of faith. You hear what I'm saying? It means we don't prophesy beyond our measure of faith. We don't prophesy beyond where, when there's doubt, we stop prophesying. Because then we're not in the will of God then we are being presumptuous in what we are prophesying. It's not by faith. Because faith is the absolute certainty, the knowledge, the down payment that we know is going to happen. You hear what I'm saying? So perhaps you have a me measure of faith one day and someone you know, your friend, your family, is suffering from some disease and you know that God has spoken to you and you pray and they're healed. That's what I'm talking about. You hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to encourage you to pray. I'm trying to encourage you to prophesy. I'm trying to encourage you to flow in the gifts that God has you, but according to the measure of your faith, that there's not presumption. All right, and he goes on and he says, the one who teaches, teach. The one who exhorts, encourages, 
in his exhortation, the one who contributes generously, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All of these things according to the measure of faith that God has given us. So what I'm trying to say is we don't impute to ourselves. We don't give ourselves gifts that we don't have by grace. You hear what I'm saying? The Christian faith never asks you to play games with your life or to be pretend that you are someone that you are not. The Christian faith, the gospel, liberates you fully to be completely the person that God has created you to be. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Too much of the church has not yet found its place in the kingdom. I want to encourage every single one of you to find your place in the kingdom. Find your place. The reason why you exist is not going to be the same as my reason. And that's great. That is cool. That is wonderful. I'm not Martin Luther. I'm not John Calvin. I'm not R.T. Kendall. I'm not Bill Johnson. Don't want to be him. I'm not John Wimber either. Don't want to be him. I don't want you to be or try to be like any of those people. Because why? Because you have a measure of grace that God has given you. Too much, too many in the church are still not convinced of who they are in Christ. And the grace of God that has made them to be who they are. And so what do they do? They run all over the world trying to be like somebody else. I'll just go here and get it here. Oh no. And then I'll go here. I'll go and I'll get it here. My friend, let the grace of God come to you right now and be who you are. Be who God has created you to be. Don't be jealous of someone else's grace gift. Enjoy every gift in the body of Christ. Love every gift in the body of Christ. But be who you are. I'm absolutely convinced that when we get to heaven one day, if you've been faithful in just being who you are, your reward will be as great as the greatest reward for servants on earth right now that have high profile. Just be who you are. If your gift is in business, Exercise it with the measure of faith that God has given you. All of your heart. I wrote here, we might desire and covet a particular gift, but we are not asked to pretend that we have gifts simply because we desire them. Don't pretend. Just enjoy the gift that you do have. All right? That's what it means to have faith without doubting. You know the most incredible thing? is When God is using you and you are seeing him use you in whatever your sphere of influence is and whether it's in the community or like a counselor like some, like Claire and, and Doug and you, and you see God using you, it's an amazingly fulfilling thing. It's so, it, it's incredibly wonderful. And you're just being who you are. But the life. What about the foolish double-minded man? Why does James speak about a double-minded man? What does that mean? Well, I want to put to you that the first eight verses of James 
If we really understand the first eight verses of James, then the rest of the book makes sense like this. It's like the key, the first eight verses. So it's very important that we understand now what he's talking about when he says the double-minded man. And he introduces him. He doesn't call him the double-minded man until verse 8. But he describes this person and he says this kind of person is wavers and is blown this way and that by every wind of the sea. And in verse 7 he says um, he's unstable in all of his ways. And for me this is a parallel theme that flows throughout the whole book because what he's trying to do is he's trying to say this is, I'm calling you to this kind of godliness. And here juxtaposed against this kind of godliness is the double-minded man. That's like an example to us. So who's the foolish double-minded man? Well, I've got some ideas I want to just share with you this morning. I think the foolish double-minded man is the person who prays for wisdom when he's not a candidate for wisdom because he's resisted the process of God in his life, hasn't yielded his heart to Jesus. He's got spiritual needs in his life, he or she, that he hasn't let God supply because he's resisted the work of the Spirit in his life. That's double-mindedness. Or, for example, um, a man who asks for wisdom but really looks to his own intellect for the answer. That's a double-minded man. That's fundamentally a rebellious man. He's always asking for wisdom but looking to his own intellect, not really looking to God. He's unstable. Why is he unstable? Because he imagines that he is in the will of God, but really he's deceived. He or she. This is the kind of person that promotes himself in the kingdom rather than waiting on God. Let God promote him or her. This is double-mindedness. And it's fascinating, as I was reading this week, that the Greek word, which is used in that phrase, without doubting, is diakrenomonos which means someone who's at war with himself. Isn't that fascinating? A double-minded man is somebody who in their heart is at odds with themselves. They're not settled. They believe, but they don't believe. They don't have certainty about decisions that they make. They kind of, mm, they're not quite sure. They're kind of uncertain. They're kind of wrestling all the time. There's a wrestling in their hearts. This is double-mindedness. It's what uh, I tried to describe a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the story of Abraham and Sarah. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? God gives this amazing promise to Abraham. says, I'm going to give you a child. The problem is he's in his 90s. There ain't no child. He's in her 90s. There's no child. So what do they do? She comes up with a cunning plan, Baldrick. Cunning plan. She says, Abraham, let's take Hagar, your servant girl. You sleep with her. And we'll produce an heir that way. And therefore, in that way, we will fulfill the promise of God for our lives. We will have an heir. You've read the story. It's an unmitigated disaster. Ishmael comes and causes pain for them right from the word go. And God is still faithful. And later, Isaac is born. That's double-mindedness. That's taking matters into your own hands. A double-minded person is someone who, who lets their personal ambition dictate the will of God. <laughs> who looks to the affirmation of people as a barometer in their lives of how things are going. If people like me, things are going well. If people don't like me, things are not going well. Instead of saying, God, you alone are the one I'm trying to please. 
Double-minded person is someone who just keeps on walking without listening for the voice of the Spirit. That's double-mindedness. A double-minded person is someone who resists the training of God in their lives, who doesn't resist temptation. Now, I believe in the grace of God with all of my heart. I also believe the grace of God enables you and I to say no. I can say no to that. To that sexual temptation, I can say no by the grace of God. This is the grace of God. This is the robust grace of God. This is the delightful grace of God. Paul also says, by the grace of God, I worked harder than every one of you. Oh, don't talk about work. That's legalism. Don't put legalism on the church. No, by the grace of God, I served you. I worked harder than anyone, Paul says. It's a delight. See, a double-minded person is someone who really gets through life by their own intellect, their own wit, surviving on those things, and not really walking by the Spirit of God. That's double-mindedness. And there's this fascinating image. I was just thinking as we've had so many tsunamis in the last while. James uses this image, and he says that a double-minded person is like a wave of the sea that's just blown all over the place. And I was thinking this, well, what, you know, what makes waves on the sea? Wind makes waves on the sea. Wind determines the direction of the wave, the size of the wave, where it's headed, okay? Other than tsunamis. Tsunamis are caused by massive earthquakes underneath the ground where plates shift, and that causes a huge wave. But generally, waves are caused by wind. And you see, double-minded people go in whatever direction the wind blows. That's what he's saying. Double-minded people go whatever direction the wind blows. So some new fashion comes into the, into the church, they're after that. Some new teaching, they're after that. Some new vogue, some new way of doing ministry, they're after that. For me, it's a sad tragedy in the local churches when I see that because for me it's a fundamental thing. It's just that people lack conviction that they're happy to be who God has made them to be. That's what it boils down to. And they haven't really found out who they are. And so they're trying to be somebody else. Our desire that this church is full of hundreds of people who know who they are in Christ, under the preaching of the Word and by the ministry of the Spirit, and they're happy to be that. And they love Him and serve Him and love each other with all of their hearts. That's a great dream for the local church. The other thing about wind is that when it blows very hard, it's destructive, isn't it? If you think of a tornado, it's just a wind blowing very hard. And every year we read of tornadoes in America, the Midwest, or the East Coast, or in the Far East. And wind that's blowing very hard can be very, very destructive. And wind that blows hard can test the structure, the integrity of a building. And you soon know whether the building is intact or strong. And uh, generally when there's no wind blowing, Double-minded people are, are fine. They're happy. But as soon as a testing wind blows, scatter. Why? Because they're not motivated by inner peace or conviction. They're motivated by the wind. Whatever way the wind goes, I'll go that way. And uh, James has a word of advice. He just says, don't think you will, that kind of person will not receive anything from the Lord. 
He won't receive this kind of wisdom. It will always escape him, this kind of wisdom. And again, the Greek is very interesting. It's oimai. should be ave. <laughs> oimai, which means, it means to presume. It, it means to imagine. Say, so what he's saying is, James is saying, that kind of person is like that. Don't even begin to imagine that God's going to give you this kind of wisdom. Because there's not a rootedness. It will always elude you. So here's the double whammy. And then I'm going to try and bring an encouraging conclusion because I don't want anyone to leave here kind of feeling discouraged, all right? Because I think James is trying to encourage us. He's trying to get us to live according to our measure of faith, to exercise our gift, to be a part of a, a body that is, that is just seeing God move as each person finds their place. But here's the double whammy because when you're in a time of trial, what do you need most of all when everything's confusing? You need wisdom. You need a word from God. And it's the very thing that James is saying is going to elude us if we're double-minded. So it seems to be like it's a, a double whammy. But I don't think it is. I think it's a safeguard for us. So I was trying to say, as we start to live according to the measure of our faith, God will bring blessing. That is the stuff of revival when every single believer is being the person that God has created them to be. So I want to just answer a question that you might be asking or you might not be asking. So does that mean that double-minded people are not saved? Because I have to say to you, when I read some of those things, I have to say I see something of that in my own life. I say, God, gee, that's, that's tough. I mean, I see some of that stuff in me. I'm not always constant. I'm tossed this way and that. Sometimes I, you know, does that mean I'm not saved? No. Not saying that at all. Why? Because if you go with me to chapter 4, James encourages the church again. And what does he say? He says, he gives more grace. Yes, please. He gives more grace to us. And then what does he say? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Just let your heart be soft and open and humble and know that you don't know everything like I don't know everything, and just say, God, I need you every moment of the day. And what is the promise of the word? That God will give grace to those kind of people. More grace, more grace, more grace. And he says, God approaches the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Just say, Lord, I'm submitting myself to you in every way. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And why do I say this it means that it's got nothing to do with salvation? Because he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to saved people, and he says, cleanse your hands, sinners. In other words, what you do, make sure it's pure. Purify your heart, you double-minded. So he's recognizing these people are in the church, they're double-minded. They're not, they're not trusting God with faith, undoubting faith. He's saying, no, no, cleanse your heart, don't do that anymore. Get to a place of believing. God is who he says he is. And so it's this, this wonderful, wonderful encouragement from James calling us back to this relationship with Jesus. You know, um, Wayne, Wayne uh, asked us to do that song that we started with. I think it's an amazing song. We are here for you. It's the only reason we come together for Him. Let our songs be your anthem. 
Not to come and drink coffee and meet mates of a similar culture. No, man. We are here for him. So, I want to encourage you, as God's people, I want to encourage you with all my heart to throw off those things that distract. To throw off those things that tangle you. Because you know, I believe this, that James says that wisdom can come to us by the Spirit, and that kind of wisdom from heaven is power. How many of you want revival? Well, to have revival, we've got to have this kind of wisdom that comes by the Spirit of God. That's power. And so James is addressing double-minded Christians. We had this delightful time at the marriage seminar uh, over this weekend. One of the things that Ganga was just stressing is the, is the destructive power of pornography. The statistics are this, 50% of men in churches all over the world are still addicted to pornography. I've been leading a church long enough to know it's, it's in the church. I want to encourage you, you can say no. By the grace of God that is upon you right now. While I say that, well, Galatians 5, the amazing, amazing book of grace, it says, this is a man who's walking by grace. He says no to the flesh, and he walks by the Spirit. Galatians 5. We'll read it just now. Say no. Put it behind you. You see, a double-minded person just says it's too hard. I can't do it. These kind of these, these temptations, I just can't get them under control. I just can't do it anymore. And it's normal. It's not. It's normal. It's every, everyone struggles with these things. It's just normal. No, 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 my friend. By the grace of God that is upon you and I, we say no to everything that is ungodly. All right? Let's encourage each other. I loved that words that came a couple of weeks ago. That we were to be those that cheer each other and encourage each other in the gospel. Walk by the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Undoubting, single-minded Christians are those who walk by the grace of God and learn to say no to ungodliness. So I have a dream, and I'm sure that everyone in this church has a dream for what they want to see God do. Mine is not the only dream. It's not exclusive. I don't have dibs on dreams. But when I pray for this church, I pray and say, God, let this church increasingly become a church who's not double-minded, single-minded, wholehearted, passionate, generous, loving each other, not backbiting, not fighting theologically. Just you know, you know why I say that because I, I think. Double-minded Christianity is probably the most unattractive thing to the world. (laughs) No pagan is going to save that kind of Christianity. Double-mindedness. I have a dream to see a group of people that will be produced under the Word of God and by the power of the Spirit, community of believers that will flee temptation, that will say, I'm in this Lord Jesus with all of my heart, 
I want to put you first in my life. A congregation that will cause this community to, to sit up and say, those people really love each other. See how they love each other. So I do want to encourage you, because I want to say this, that when I read that passage, sometimes I feel, gee, Lord, I'm still very double-minded. And, uh, you know, whenever you prepare a message, it can be difficult because you have to let the sword go through your own heart and let God deal with you. And I've had to do that this week and just say, Lord, I'm trusting you for so much more. But I want to just encourage you with this this final little comment. I think the book of James is calling us higher. It's calling us higher, every single one of us. It's calling us higher as a community of believers. It's calling us higher. He's saying it is impo- it is an ab- it is a- we are able as a group of believers to live dazzling Christian lives without being schizophrenic, without being Frankensteinian, without being one way this way, one day this way, one day that way, wholehearted, submitted to God, resisting the devil, fleeing temptation, living for him. That's what he's trying to encourage us. That is dazzling Christianity. That is dazzling Christianity. That is living a single-minded, pure, simple walk with Jesus. And I am absolutely convinced that that's what revival is made of. Those kind of people. Laying their lives down completely. It's a delightful thing. It's a liberating thing. I believe it's what God has for this church. I do. I believe it's what God has for this community and for many other churches in this community. As we just come into alignment with Him, what He's done on the cross, everything, we're allowed to transform us from the inside out by the power of the Spirit. Amen.